culture for me always misses one word, which is performance. And actually what you're trying to do is create the right environment to create the right performance that you want to. And if you get that right, well, you can achieve amazing things. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 192nd episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome David Breer to the show. David is the CEO of 11FS and believes digital financial services are 1% finished. And that's because at 11FS, they are building next generation propositions for challengers in the financial services industry from existing firms looking to innovate to startups looking to scale and everyone in between. Welcome to the show, David. It is so good to share time with you today, buddy. Yeah, lovely to to be here. Thanks for having me on. Before we get into talking about why you believe digital financial services are 1% finished, I always like to start off on a positive note. What is going well for you right now, personally or professionally? It's your pick always to get started here on the show. Oh, man. Well, it's good. I'm healthy and I'm happy. Like, uh, let's start with that one because I think that kind of builds on everything else, really. But uh, thankful to be alive uh, in this weird and wonderful times with everything that's happening. And I guess from a professional perspective, nothing kind of makes people realize digital is good. It's like a a global pandemic, right? So uh, I guess from a professional sense, then uh, everything's looking in a really good sense as well. Yeah. And I think it's this idea of mindset, health and happiness and, and trying to make the best of what we have been given to us the hand that we've been played to to turn that in, into a positive optimistic because i think you know when it comes to money people are looking for two things they're looking for help they're looking for hope hope often has to come before even someone is ready to receive help and and right now it, it does it feels like there's a lot of chaos going on in the world and and i've been saying this since the pandemic started uh, what what we've experienced over the past couple of years I'm predicting is just a preview of a lot of exponential changes that we are going to experience at both the macro and the micro levels. And and there's no doubt that change is is hard. Um, It it, it can feel scary. It can feel painful. And and if one industry has experienced massive amounts of change, it is financial services. And you do believe financial services are just 1% finished. I want to start here. What do you mean by this? Um, from from that, what we really mean is um, absolutely the financial services industry has gone through a lot of change. But equally, I think it's resisting the most significant change that it really can come about. Um, you know, financial services organizations, the the big ones that we really sort of know, the the high street brands in the sense of the Wells Fargo's, the Bank of America's, the you know the city banks of this world. Um, they are resisting the level of change that digital can really bring about. And that's understandable. I mean, they were created 
in an analog world when mm. the physical nature of of cash you know those dollars in your hand or or the the branch network was was really what was known when financial services was there you wanted to borrow money you went and saw the nice guy in the branch around the corner and and had a conversation around it um but digital has the potential to to fundamentally shift really everything that financial services has to offer the business models the operating models and everything that comes with it and um, my point really is that you know digital banking really is only one percent finished because actually the the power of what we're carrying around in our pockets yes. is only being scratched um, yes. and i think i completely agree with what you're saying about that 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 tension between what consumers really really need now we all say it's that we're we're hunting for people who are uh, underserved overcharged or overwhelmed and actually when you look at what those three things are that overwhelmed one right now is happening at a, a greater pace than ever before it's interesting you use the word overwhelmed because for, through some of the research that we've done with digital secret shopping studies we tend to find a common pattern around you know money feels confusing it feels frustrating and then the other descriptive word is is it feels overwhelming and there's a lot of inherent cognitive load tied to money and then that cognitive load is just exponentially increased particularly digitally with experiences that add unnecessary friction and then we think about friction experiences are getting benchmarked and baselined against other experiences outside of financial services you touched on a lot of the incumbents being built for a an analog, a physical world. And I think there's tension, too, where not only does money feel confusing, frustrating and, and stressful and overwhelming, digital transformation internally feels the same way at a lot of these organizations. So there's an empathetic lens that we can look through. And, and one of the things that you note um, in your uh, truly digital manifesto, and I I love manifestos um, and you have 11 principles to build intelligent customer solutions um, fit for the modern digital landscape. One of the things that you note, and I think it's important to unpack this, digitized does not equal truly digital. What do you mean by this? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's an interesting one. I mean, the form factor that people, and this is so hard because again, this is a mental state. People understand the current state. They understand the current uh, landscape and actually just taking that form factor and putting it into a a website or a mobile app does not create a truly digital capability. Um, We often say, I mean, there is a, uh, we use digital riches, which is it has to be real time, intelligent, contextual, human extendable and social. And if you're really wanting to embody what digital can do, then actually you need to be ticking all of those boxes when you're building products. Because I think the, the thing that people lose um, in this, this period of transition between analog and digital is like people are really good. Like, you know, we should kind of like point that out. People are really, really good at being empathetic. Yeah. You know, if you go and talk to somebody yes. about your financial services life, they are experts like they are regulated experts who can talk to you about what the best thing is to do what we have now in in the digital world when it comes to financial services is Mm self-service and what that's doing is it's putting the emphasis on you to make decisions around your financial life and you're not a financial expert i mean you're a financial expert 
expert because it's what you do. But most people on the street are not a financial expert, right? So, and this is this is a, a shift, you know, like this is a real shift in, if you look at every other digital service that we, every other app that you love on your phone right now, I mean, the Uber driver who turns up can drive an Uber pretty well, you know, if you can't, if you can't drive, that doesn't work. Deliveroo or, you know, uh, the, the uh, you know, food delivery services that turn up to your house, they don't ask you to cook it for yourself. Right. So, you know, banking is a service. It is financial services. It's not just a product. Yes. And what people are looking for is not to do more banking. They're looking for banks to use their expertise to do the banking for them. And I think that is the major shift that we really need to get to see is, I mean, Teslas can drive themselves down the down the road right now but my bank will still charge me if i go into my overdraft like it's like that doesn't make any sense we've got algorithms that can drive cars but can't drive my money for me makes no sense to me yeah that's a great example whether it's tesla or you know you call an uber you have an uber you have an expert who's who's driving that uber who's taking you from point a to point b and 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 that's you know driving a car, not dealing with financial transactions, your essentially your future. I, I look at this a lot through the lens of healthcare, right? Because you, to your point, we've been given a, an opportunity of ownership to make decisions for ourselves, a, a little bit of autonomy. And that could be a very good thing, but it also can be a bit of a dangerous thing too, if if we're not well versed or have that knowledge expertise. Um, it's the same as if I was to go to Google. I'm not feeling well. I go to Google and I start googling my symptoms. Well, pretty soon I'm going to die in the next week based upon what I know because I don't know how to filter that out through a lens of expertise and experience. I see there's that opportunity, back to your point, of, of really injecting expertise through the digital experience to provide that knowledge, that guidance, that wisdom, and, and, if, and if nothing more, to put people's minds at ease that, hey, it's okay, we're going to show you exactly what you need to do next. And in this type of experience, I think it, it takes time to transform hearts and minds, to transform the thinking beyond the physical world. Like you said, they're doing a great job empathetically there to then inject that type of feeling into the digital space. And when it comes to time, managing time, time, time is the great equalizer. And, and you wrote a, a really fantastic article on LinkedIn with a call to action to stop wasting time on low impact activities. And you ask a great question in the article, and I think it's one that we could touch on here when it comes to this idea of just digital transformation and digital growth. Is the impact worth the effort? Because when it comes to looking out at the future of, of banking, how can financial brands apply this one simple question? Is the impact worth the effort when it comes to managing change and transformation? Yeah. I mean, it, it is the challenge. And, and I, I would say, how, how can they manage it? I mean, it's honestly, it's not just an article. It's it's something I literally ask myself every day for everything that I'm doing. It's a post-it note on my iMac that I kind of refer to in almost every meeting that I, I, I go to because, mm. you know, any business should be looking always to maximize the, the impact and minimize the effort yes. because actually that's where efficiencies really sort of live. And yeah. I think it comes back to with, with a bank actually digital isn't a channel like it's not an app it's not a website like digital is an operating model 
Yeah. Um, and actually, the the beautiful thing about that, really, for for everybody listening to this, is like that used to be sort of like a great narrative for some PowerPoint. But we've got fintech startups around the planet with, you know. MacGyver levels of uh, of tiny resources. You know, we've got startups starting with like five people and ten paper clips and a, yep. you know a, a shoebox, and they're suddenly able to build capability that banks have been trying to do for for three years with thirty million pounds and not being able to achieve. So, what's in that? You know, like being able to structure yourself, highly motivated, highly trained, highly structured people with a desire to achieve something can achieve more than gigantic corporate organizations. And and look, this isn't something that just playing out in financial services. We've we've seen this trend in three or four other industries around, you know, that are really have struggled with this level of change. Yes. Um, but when they get that this is an operating model, not just an outcome, then it changes for me actually how everybody operates. That's a great point about it being an operating model, not just an outcome. And, and, and to your point of, of, of these small teams MacGyvering it, um, I, I think that's where mindset comes into play. And also just how you view the world, because things like low code, no code, or allowing teams to build scale faster, quicker than ever before. And a lot of it is just being able to see differently, to think differently to feel differently and ultimately act differently than what others might be doing because they don't have that level of awareness or perception based upon their own experience. And I want to come back to this idea of innovation. When it comes to incumbents, what what might be some of the biggest roadblocks to innovation uh, around thinking about maximizing future growth through the lens of digital, what might be some of the roadblocks that the dear listener might need to be thinking about that could be an impediment to their future growth? Yeah, I, I think um, I think innovation in banks. I think there's always two there's two biggest hurdles. Really, is that um, first of all, culture kills it really quickly because, uh, and and I think the, the the challenge with that is um, the purpose of digital being really unclear. Um, you know the the advent, and I'm, I'm sure a, a number of people that you've worked with in the past, the advent of digital wasn't really about customer experience improvements. Like, you know, we should, again, be really honest about it. It was about yeah. taking people and paper out of organizations to reduce costs. Right. Because because actually that seemed like a good idea. So everybody's transformation uh, investment was based on reducing cost. Mm. Um, and actually with an organization that's geared up towards reducing cost, suddenly you're trying to focus on increasing experience and increasing the level of service to customers. Yes. Well, that is a huge shift in in culture within those organizations to, to really make those things happen. So for me, that's first and foremost the, the biggest hurdle, which is a culture actually needs to be set up correctly in order to create the right outcomes that you want in the first place. The second bit is... I mean, innovation in most organizations is is just theater. It, it is a, a thing that is being done not really to deliver capability through to the customer to change them. It's predominantly being done in order to make the board feel comfortable that progress is being made. Yeah. Um, and that's scary. Like when you look at the, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent on uh, sort of theater and the theater that goes around that. And that is a really scary thing to kind of face into because- 
often when a board or a set of senior managers think that something's done, it isn't. Uh, and often, you know, when you start unpicking the your layers of bureaucracy or the layers of legacy technology, um, you realize that actually a lot of money has been spent, but not really much has been changed. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. That's a great point. It, 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 I can't help but think of, of, of Shakespeare. You know, all the world is a stage. All transformation is a stage. And when it comes to this idea of culture, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because in the back of my mind, I can think of one financial brand um, that is in the Banking on Digital Growth program and their chief digital officer um, has, has come into this organization to really try to like stir some things up and, 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 and get some progress and momentum and it's from a positive place. And one of the things he, he keeps saying is, you know, we, we, we can only move at the speed of culture. Um, and when it comes to culture, you, you, you use that word a couple of times, what might be one or two key elements of culture the dear listener should be thinking about? Because I'm really, and, and I would say this is the big lesson that I've learned through the, through the pandemic experience, you know, writing banking on digital growth in starting in 2019 and then publishing in April of 2020, I was really focused, you know, around digital experience plus human experience equals digital growth. DX plus HX equals digital growth. But I, 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 I would go back and rewrite this. And, and I am, I'm actually writing the second book, Banking on Change, around this, this idea of EX, employee experience. Because I think so much of the thinking and the conversation is around technology, 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 digital transformation, where I'm, I'm starting to believe for digital transformation to be a success, we really need to focus on human transformation first and then use the tools of digital to, to achieve this next level of, of transformation organizationally or back to your point, culturally, where, where might there be one or two things culturally that we should be yeah. thinking about? So I completely agree. I mean, technology is just a facilitator. Yep. It isn't the it isn't the outcome. And and actually, look, every every business on the planet is just a collection of people with a different badge. Like, you know, I mean, it's like even if you're a product business, your product is being made by people, maintained by people, you know. So, you know, culture is just a group of people and what the norms is. Yep. Um, I think the challenge is, is uh, particularly in large corporate organizations is um the the mentality the desire and, and actually the the purpose um you know we've got to kind of remember again within uh gigantic corporate organizations they've had you know maybe two or three hundred years of amazing success uh you know the purpose in which they were were founded on was probably quite a simplistic very customer centric problem that they were trying to solve and you know through two to three hundred years of success then maybe those nerves have been dulled a little bit in terms of what they stand for and why they're there 
Um, and I think actually bringing that back, that purpose, what's the what's the real underlying purpose of the organization? Who are you serving? Why are you serving them? What problem are you really solving? And reconnecting your your employees with that is really, really critical. But I think the challenge is, is that many people have heard these things as lip service. Mm. They've heard these are our values. This is what we stand for. You know, this is what we believe in and this is what we don't accept. But actually the reality of what they say and what actually happens on the the shop floor, as it were, are dramatically different. And I think that level of then skepticism within organizations leads to to a, a real, you know, issue for for senior managers which is people just don't believe them anymore when they say they want to achieve something or that there is a a democratization of these things and i think in this period as well that's even harder because actually when you're the ceo of you know when you're jamie diamond and you're standing in front of a thousand people at a conference then actually you know the feedback loop is quite difficult you might get an email from somebody who's upset when they're leaving or whatever but when you're just a, a square on a Zoom call with like 400 other people, mm. the the leveling that actually has happened in this period, people are a lot more vocal now. Yes, uh, and I think that's a good thing. But I mean, I always say with with culture, it's like it's what you hire, fire, train, and reward on. Yep, and that has to be consistent. There's no CEO flying first class, and you know, uh, you know, your your head of product flying coach. Uh, that's something that doesn't work in in today's uh, you know modern cultural setup, because um, all of these things I, I I always say this culture for me always misses one word which is performance. Yes, and actually what you're trying to do is create the right environment to create the right performance that you want to. And if you get that right, well, you can achieve amazing things. Well, it's it's funny. I I, I looked up a, a definition of how I've defined culture previously for uh, uh, an organization, and you touched on purpose. Purpose is at the center of the digital growth blueprint because everything then really expands out from that core. And from the point of culture, I said culture is the result of a positive or negative alignment around a shared purpose further unified by common values that spreads throughout all departments to create value for the organization internally and externally. And I I keep coming back to this idea of purpose because I do think it is, is by reviewing not what we do or how we do it, but by ascending a little bit higher into who we do it for getting really clear about that and then ultimately why we're doing this for these people and then we can worry about how we're delivering it and, and what we're positioning and it's it's getting stuck in the what and the and the how that's where i see the commoditization kicking in right yeah i mean we we always say on these things that, i mean there's two types of purpose there's there's on purpose which is you know, we are active in this. We are not passive. There is a, we are actively taking a role in making these things happen. And then with purpose, which is for the good of something that you're trying to uh, establish. I mean, it's a, it's a nice little, uh, nice little sticker uh, kicking around the 11FS office as well. But it's like, if you're on purpose and with purpose, actually that's the type of stuff you get out of bed for. Yep. Uh, if you, uh, if you're passive and you don't believe in why you're doing what you're doing, it's really difficult to motivate people to get there. So, um, and, and again, it's, it just makes total sense to me. And I'm, my, my background is, is, uh, you know, I've been in business for, for a while, but sports, 
you know, how do you unify people in a sports team? It's like yes. everybody has to believe in the same goal. Everybody has to believe in the the rest of your teammates being there for you when you need them. Uh, everybody really has to believe in the fact that everybody is is playing at the same level and can support the rest of the team. And if all of these things are true, teams can achieve amazing things. Yeah, and I think coming back to the point of of, of, of purpose and the role that it plays within an organization, with within innovation even, we're going to experience some type of failure along the way. And and, and, and the challenge is, is when we tie emotion to failures of the past, that's where we start to anchor things in and we're not able to to break free and move beyond those failures. Failure is part of the learning process. Um, and, and, and it's part of the growth process. You, you wrote a, another beautiful article. It was, it was a beautiful tribute to your mom. Um, and one of the, the lessons that she shared with you, she taught you was just how to get up, just get up. Um, and, and you, you tie this back to the sports too. And, and it just, I, I love this perspective um, because I even think about my own wife yesterday. Um, she uh, took our oldest son skating. <clears throat> they had a skate party at the, at the roller rink um, and he fell down. And the, the teacher who was there was like, you, you didn't really kind of stop and coddle him and my wife's like no just get up like you got to keep you got to keep skating uh and so i want to get your take on this um when it comes to struggling with failure whether it be organizationally culturally at a team level maybe an individual level um what are opportunities that that you see to inspire others maybe it's leaders or others around them to get up like your mom taught and inspired you to do. Yeah. As you say, I mean, sadly my mom passed away in January and um, you know, one of the many lessons she taught me in that sense was, was this and it's, and it feels like it feels harsh, doesn't it? As a, as a teaching your child to that you're, you know, you're wanting to give them the tools to, to solve problems for themselves. But that's really what parenting is. isn't yeah. it? It's your, your, um, the reaction is to just make everything better and make everything perfect. But the reality of the world is you're, you're parenting to help them be great when you're not there. Right. Um, and it's, it's funny. I mean, we often kind of give people that metaphor when we're working with them is like, wait, did you expect that we were here to do all of the stuff? Because I mean, it's like going to the gym and getting a personal trainer to do all the press ups and setups for you. It's like, what what do you learn like how do you get fit yes um so so i i think it's an interest. you know the point on failure i mean it's interesting there's, there's a there's a real kind of you know zeitgeist move with failure to you know embrace it and it's part of the journey and all of those things now like i do believe that in the sense that mental resilience needs to be built up to to see uh feedback you know, the feedback loop of me missing a, a shot is, well, I know I shanked that one and therefore I need to, you know, do better next time. But but actually, I, I think there's a difference between um, acceptance and uh, excuses. Um, mm. And I've, I've kind of always been brought up to, to accept no excuses from myself uh, and to use, you know, negatives as flips to move towards positives, which is, well... I didn't do it great this time, but next time I will. 
Um, and I think within the business context, the, the hard part about that is, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure I've messed up about 50 things today. That's okay because I've learned and I've moved forward and I've resolved those problems. Right. And it will happen every day of my life. You know, I'm by no means am I a, a perfect everything that I'm doing, but I will try and perfect it. Um, and I think if you get that mentality that, again, it goes back to the 1% finished piece. 1% finished is not a quantitative study of the the financial services landscape that we've done. This is a mindset. Yes. This is saying that if you believe you're done, you're wrong. If you believe you've got so much more of the journey ahead in order to to achieve greater things and move further forward, then you're right. Um, and I think breeding that mentality into, you know, I've got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. If I can take one thing that my my mum brought me uh, over that period of time, it's the it's the mental resilience to fail, but just keep getting up. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like on this this point of failure, one of our what I call eight elements for exponential growth, and exponential growth is what I define as when you're growing personally and professionally at the same time. You're being mm-hmm. even better than what you were the day before. Um, I think about James Clear and his whole you know thinking in Atomic Habits, like one percent better. Uh, the way that we define this, failure is learning but don't keep repeating the same mistake because then you're not learning anything and it's okay. And I think this idea of, of what I I'm viewing as a growth mindset from a place of abundance, the future is so big. Um, and like that 1% is really resonating with me because in an executive coaching program that I'm in uh, with Dan Sullivan uh, called Strategic Coach, you know, one of the big lessons that he has taught me over the years is always make your future bigger than your past. And this idea of 1%, it's like, man, I still got 99% more to go. I'm excited. Buckle up, buttercup, because we're, we're, we're going to go on this ride together. And and speaking about going on this ride together, this has been a great ride with you today. Um, I appreciate the conversation, the knowledge, and and I'm with you. Um, you know, digital financial services is 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 one percent finished. And as we begin to wrap up, I want to look ahead towards that bigger, better, brighter future. What are you most hopeful and excited about as you continue through the work that you're doing at Eleven FS? You continue to build the other 99%. What are you excited about? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think the the potential for uh, artificial intelligence, I, th- I really do think that is the, the thing that probably excites me most because I actually think financial services, I mean, we love this stuff because it's what we do, right? And, and actually we live in this world every day and we talk about it all the time and we get all, all excited. Normal people just don't care. Right? Right. And, and I, I really, I really just think actually artificial intelligence has the potential to to really democratize the types of experiences that you would only get if you had, you know, fifty million dollars in the bank. Uh, you know, a, a team of people now can be replicated with algorithms to make actually everybody financially better off. Yeah. Um, the industry that we work in, I mean, financial services. The the business models of financial services are are really predicated on, uh, you know, punitive fees and charges. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think at the point where the industry moves towards really replicating uh, and, and you know, creating services that make all of their customers fundamentally better off, then actually, I don't think that's just a financial services goal. I, I think, to your point earlier on, I think the world is better at that point. Uh, you know, we, we say our, 
our vision for for 11FS is to change the fabric of financial services. And we think at that point, then the whole world will be better off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's that idea of being even better, being better off that I'm hopeful about. And, and one of the great opportunities I see on this this front is to, to your point, too, on, on the punitive charges on almost penalizing people for bad behavior, thinking from a, a parental perspective. But yeah, when 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 we can finally as a whole, as an industry, commit to put the transformation of people beyond just the commoditized transaction of dollars and cents. That's where I see like there'll be a big shift in momentum. And I want to get real practical as we wrap up here. You know, we've talked a lot about change. We've talked about innovation. We've talked about failure. We've talked about culture. Um, What is one small action? And I say small because all, all growth begins with a small, simple step forward. What is one small action that the dear listener can take next to create a culture of innovation within their financial brand? Yeah, for me, uh, it always begins and ends on communication. I've never, ever uh, in my entire career gone into an organization where there aren't people who know exactly what should be being done, who don't really fundamentally understand actually how the customer's uh, problems and those problems are affecting their lives just go talk to people. Yeah. Uh, you don't need, you know, fancy consultants and, you know, 10 million pounds spent on a research project. You just need to go and talk to people. Um, they'll understand what needs to change in the culture and then your customers will know what needs to change in terms of the products. So start and end there would be my advice. Communication, conversation, discuss, dialogue, um, discourse. I, I think of John Jenkins over at uh, Nimbus Cuso, and he's talked about doing a listening tour. And there's an, another acronym for that here in Digital Growthtopia called Go All In on People. And that's an acronym for Ask, Listen, and Learn. And learned a lot I have. David, this has been a great conversation. How can someone who is listening connect with you to continue the discussion that we've started here today. Absolutely. Uh, You can find 11FS over on 11FS.com. And I lurk predominantly on LinkedIn these days. So you can find me over there. And subscribe to your LinkedIn newsletter. You've you've got a lot of great insights that you share. Was it every week? Yeah, every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. So subscribe to the newsletter. Learn from David. David, thank you for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.